The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. I want to welcome you once again to our pre-recorded live stream this morning. I'm so grateful that you're joining us from wherever you are. And I want to echo what Ben said last week in saying that this is strange. This is odd to be here preaching to a room full of empty seats. I'm usually able when I preach to see you physically, although I can't fully see you spiritually. I can't see where your heart and your thought and your emotions are. I feel like today it's the reverse. Today I can't see you physically, but I feel as though in a strong sense I can see you spiritually. I can see where your heart and your thoughts and your emotions are because we are all, in one sense or another, in this strange, crazy boat together. We're all feeling antsy and anxious and concerned and uncertain. And so this morning, as we continue in this journey together yet apart physically, I want to offer the encouragement once again that Jesus is Lord. Jesus has been Lord before the coronavirus. He is Lord right now, and he is going to be Lord of heaven and earth, continue even afterwards. And so we've got to remember that as a community, even as we are physically apart. And I'm missing you in this room. This is an odd experience to preach to empty seats. I almost don't feel like I'm preaching in a sense. It feels more like I'm an astronaut beaming a message out into the dark void of space, hoping that it connects with someone. But there's a reason that I stand up here confident today that these words will not come up empty. And that reason is because my words are not the primary thing being spoken here. The primary thing is the word of God. And Isaiah 55 tells us that the word of God is like the rain, that it comes from heaven and it waters the earth and it produces fruit. And in verse 11, it says that God tells us, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The word of God will not go out and return empty today. God will accomplish his purpose. And so it's to that word of God that we turn together this morning in Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 1 through 12 as we continue worshiping. All the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. 
the scribe Ezra stood on a wooden platform that had been made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand. And Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashum, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We come before you, even as we are apart, and we give thanks for the way that you have gathered us and knit us together into a community, that you have grown us into the head, which is Christ. And God, we pray for strength during these times. We pray for resilience. We pray for healing. We pray for your kingdom and will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I ask for the gift of preaching, and I ask that your Holy Spirit would quiet our restless hearts and would illuminate these words to us. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray all these things. Amen. There's a lot of online learning happening right now. I've done a little bit of it myself. I've taken some online classes in my day, some of them better than others. I took two semesters of ancient Greek with our very own Dr. Jim Dvorak. It was excellent. He is an online teaching guru. I took another class in college, though, that was a little stranger online, and it was called Perspectives in World Music. Maybe you've heard of it or even took it. It wasn't stranger because of the teacher. It was strange because of the way that the subject matter and the circumstances met together. It was perspectives in world music, which is an incredibly broad, broad topic, a huge, sprawling thing to study, world music. And yet we studied it on 
12-inch laptop screens. It was world music. When you hear world music, you think of everything from marching bands to concerts to exotic festivals. And yet, Lara and I, newly married, took the class over Christmas break basically in her childhood bedroom at her parents' house. It was a strange conflation of subject matter and circumstances in which we studied it. And that's a little bit what's happening this morning. This morning, we've already discussed the irony of gathered by God in a season of being scattered and sequestered. But there's another layer of irony this morning because as we are separated, going to our individual texts, the text we're going to is about people going to the text while they're together. Right? Nehemiah 8 is this text about people coming together to worship and hear the word of God, and we all are apart coming to the text to hear about this very same word. So there's a strange meeting of subject matter and circumstances this morning, and yet I am still all the more grateful to be able to connect with you this morning as we study God's word together in Nehemiah chapter 8. So let's jump back into the first couple verses. All the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. So two weeks ago, we heard about Solomon's temple dedication as the people find their temple, build it in Jerusalem. Last week, Ben preached from an exile text from Psalm 44, and it was this wonderful parallel between our unfortunate current circumstances of being scattered and feeling exiled and the exile of the text. This morning, we're in a new period. We are in basically the beginnings of what we might call the second temple period. The second temple Judaism that starts when this remnant of Israel comes back to Jerusalem and they're able to rebuild the temple, to rebuild their city and come back together to be restored. For us this morning, there's not quite this wonderful parallel between the text and our feelings and our situation. So the parallel this morning is one of hope. We are hoping that we will also get to come back together and fill this room. We are hoping that we will be restored, that we will get to come together and publicly hear the word of God and worship him once again in this place that we call home. But this is what Israel has. They've come back in Nehemiah chapter 8, and the people have asked Ezra to read from the book of the law of Moses. And so there's this wonderful scene of the people being gathered, and Ezra, it says he reads from morning until midday, so it's possible that he was reading from the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, what we call the Pentateuch or the Torah, it's possible he was reading for four, five, six hours. So we don't know exactly what Ezra was reading, but it's even possible 
that Ezra was reading some of the very texts that we have touched on in this sermon series, Gathered by God. It's possible that Ezra read from Genesis 12 where Abram is called by God to leave his native land, to go find the promised land, and to worship God and to bless all the nations through it. It's possible that Ezra preached or read from Exodus 19 where the people are gathered by God at Mount Sinai to become a holy nation, a treasured possession, a royal kingdom of priests. It's possible that Ezra touched on these very things, but the thing I want to draw out from Nehemiah 8 for us this morning is this idea that the people come together to hear the book of the law of Moses. The people come together to hear Holy Scripture. Because I think this cuts against some of our own situation. I think our assumption is that our primary, most important relationship with the Bible is individual. That I've got my Bible, and I've got my name embossed on the front, and I've got my highlights and underlines inside, or I've got my iPhone app, and I have my Bible app, and profile, and highlights. That the primary relationship between us and the Bible is personal, individual. But I think Nehemiah 8 pushes back on this. I think as the people call this together and ask Ezra to bring the word of the Lord, we see something different. Something I want to illustrate with two quotations. N.T. Wright says, The primary place where the church hears scripture is during corporate worship. In the same vein, Jim Fodor says this. He says, Worship is scripture's home. It's native soil. It's most congenial habitat. The most important Bible reading we can ever do happens in corporate worship. The most important Bible reading you will ever do happens in public, collective Christian worship when we are gathered together. The most important reading we do is not our individual little times of Bible study. That is vital. It's absolutely important. But the most important time is right here, is in this room, is together, because this is where Scripture belongs. The Holy Bible is the church's book. This is the word that God has given us. And this is its native habitat, its environment. And so that means... Every other place we go to encounter the Bible, be that our home, our car, our academy, university, those are all zoos. Those are the zoo, right? Scripture is a great thing to encounter at the zoo. It's nice to see it from a different angle in this kind of controlled environment. You can appreciate and see different things that you might not in other cases, But scripture is really at home in the wild. There's nothing quite like seeing scripture in the wild world of worship. That is its most congenial habitat. There's nothing like encountering God's word to us in its native environment. Just to illustrate this idea 
Think about literacy rates in world history. Not even going back to Nehemiah 8, but if we go back 200 years, if we go back just 200 years to 1820, in 1820, 12% of the world, it's estimated, could read and write. 12% of the world was literate. 200 years later, 2020, here we are. That has reversed. 14% of the world now is illiterate, cannot read and write. So in 200 years, we've gone from 12% literate to 14% illiterate. This is just goes to show you in all of Christian history, the primary way that most Christians have encountered scripture is orally, is in public worship. Christians for the majority of their history, the majority of Christians have not been able to go to just a single Bible and read it for themselves our most important encounter with the word of God is together in worship. Everything else we do that is vitally important is an extension of that. But it begins right here, right here, gathered to worship the God who gives us his word in scripture. And so Ezra is reading this scripture in this public worship gathering. And jumping back into verse four, I'm gonna skip over all those wonderful, fun names. I gave it one risky try, and let's just not push our luck. It says, the scribe Ezra stood on a wooden platform that had been made for the purpose, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Did you notice the way that bodies are arranged in this space, in this text? It's important to notice, you'll notice that the people stand up and they bow down, kind of like we talked about the posture of worship a couple weeks ago, but notice Ezra is standing above the people as he reads. He's elevated as he reads the word of God to them. Now there's obviously a pragmatic reason for this, a practical reason that it's easier to focus on somebody that you can see when they're in front of the group. It's easier probably to hear that person if their voice and sound is traveling over the crowd instead of hitting the front row. But beyond the practical, the pragmatic, I think there's a spiritual point at work here in Nehemiah 8 in the way that these bodies in this space are arranged. And I think that point is that we are gathered under God's word. God's word rests over us as an authority. Now, Jesus has all the authority. The authority is God's. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. But God's authority authorizes Jesus' authority authorizes his apostles, the writers of these texts. He, in a sense, deputizes these scriptures to be the instrument of his authority. So we are gathered under this authoritative word of God that is, in a sense, 
above us. You know, you might not have noticed before, and if you were here with me in the room, you would probably notice right now, but this scripture lectern that is off to my left that we read from every Sunday, that scripture lectern where we read standalone scriptures is higher than our preaching pulpit. That lectern, I actually didn't even notice this when we first moved in. I probably noticed this about six months after we got settled into this location. That scripture lectern is elevated ever so slightly above the preaching pulpit. Now, in the Church of Christ, we don't think in these terms. We don't put a whole lot of thought into spaces and the way that spaces tell a story or communicate. We're pretty much happy with just four walls, slap some white paint on there, maybe a couple ficuses behind the preacher. We're good. But spaces do communicate. Spaces tell us a story, and you wouldn't arrange your bedroom the same way you would arrange your office. You wouldn't arrange your art museum the same way you arrange your press briefing room. Spaces matter, and the arrangement of elements and bodies within space matters. And I think the story that Nehemiah 8 tells, and the story that really, unbeknownst to us, our scripture reading lectern tells, is that we are under the word of God. When Ben and I get up here to preach, we are putting ourselves under the word. We want to be under the authority of God's word that has the authority to correct and rebuke and chasten and encourage and heal and save and accomplish God's purposes because it's his deputized instrument for his authority for our church. There's the spatial symbol, but the real reality is that this word speaks to us powerfully and authoritatively because it comes from above, because it's this word on high, because it is external to us. Right? That's the way it can, can come into our lives and kind of interrogate our regular thought patterns, disrupt our everyday thinking, and come in and disrupt us with the powerful, subversive revolutionary word of Jesus Christ, the living word who uses the written word for his authority in our lives. But they don't simply read scripture in Nehemiah 8. There's more going on, just as we don't simply read scripture on the Sundays that we get to gather here. They also interpret. Verses 8 through the end of our text, verse 12 So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. 
And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. We don't simply long to hear the word of God. We long to understand it. We long to know what it means, to know what it means for us, to know what it means for how we live our lives, to know what it means about God and therefore who we are. We long to understand it and we need interpretation. There's a sense in which this word interpretation might be referring to translation from the Hebrew of the Torah to the Aramaic that they may have spoken but there's definitely an aspect of explanation. Most likely there is this aspect of explaining and interpreting the text that they've read from the book of the law of Moses. Which is amazing, really, that this text within the Old Testament talks about needing to interpret this older text of the Old Testament. It's not just the distance that separates us from the Pentateuch. There's even a distance between Nehemiah and the books of the law of Moses. But I want you to notice the people's first response. They weep. They weep when they hear the words of the law and possibly because of the gap between God's commands and the way that they are living up to them and really falling short. And I don't think we should speed past this. I think we should linger for just a second on this weeping because that can be a natural response to the word of God, especially spoken in worship. This is a word that comes from above us, from on high, and we so regularly fall short of its standards. We so regularly fall short of the glory of the holy triune God. And so we must lament. We must weep for the way that our hearts have succumbed to idolatry, have succumbed to the ways of sin and death and the devil in the world. The word of God, remember, has this power to challenge us, to cross-examine us, to intercept and interrogate our thoughts and our hearts. And so interpretation doesn't mean glossing over every corrective or rebuking or even painful text that we encounter in Holy Scripture. But after this moment of weeping, there's joy. Joy always comes. Joy must come. And in verse 11 and 12, it says, The Levites stilled all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. You'll notice that they invoke the day that it is. The Levites say, Hey, this day is holy. You can't be grieving and weeping. This day is holy, and, and the message is more than that. It's rejoicing. It's sending portions of your food and wine to those who don't have any prepared for themselves. It's remembering the poor and rejoicing in your salvation. You see, this is a holy day. It's the first day of the seventh month, and later in this chapter, later in the seventh month, Israel will celebrate the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacle. 
And this is a time to remember the moment in the Exodus when they tabernacled in the wilderness. It's a time to remember the story of God's salvation. And so the Levites are saying this story is part of the interpretation and part of your response to the word of God that has come to you from the outside, from above. You see, the story of God, what he's done and what he is doing for his people, that is the ultimate context within which we read and interpret his word. You see, the Bible is a vast collection of texts. It's a vast collection of texts from across time and space and culture and genre. It's vast and diverse and disparate. But Irenaeus, a church father from the second century, used this analogy. He said, Scripture is like a mosaic, and all the different pieces and moments in Scripture are different pieces of the mosaic and this mosaic is the image of a king but you can also arrange the pieces in such a way that it creates the picture of a dog you can arrange these pieces in such a way that it doesn't represent the king that it's supposed to image. You can arrange these mosaic pieces in a way that sets up the Old Testament versus the New Testament. You can arrange these pieces in a way that pits Jesus against Yahweh. You can pit James against Paul. You can make the image of a dog with Scripture. But Irenaeus says we need a key. We need a key to show us how to image the king. How to piece this mosaic together. How to interpret, how to get the sense, how to see the story. And that story is our key. The story of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Jesus, the crucified and risen Messiah. Jesus, the one who comes and tells us that the greatest commandments are this. Love God with everything. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, I'm the key. I'm how you read the whole thing. I'm the image, the Christ, the Messiah, the King. Because it's my authority through these words and it's my salvation in you, in the world. St. Augustine said this about those two greatest commandments. He said, anyone who thinks he has understood the divine scriptures or any part of them, but cannot by his understanding build up this double love of God and neighbor, has not yet succeeded in understanding them. May we return to this place. May we hear God's word publicly. May we see the image of Jesus the King. And through that word, may we know how to love God and how to love our neighbor. May we come together, be gathered by this word, be transformed and changed. And may this world be healed and renewed 
by the grace and victory of Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to bless you all this week as you go. I miss you. And I love you, church. And I pray we will be together again in this space sooner rather than later. But in the meantime, I want to leave you with this blessing. May the joy of the Lord be your strength this week as you listen and live by God's word. Go in peace.